Welcome to the Wise Crone Cottage Podcast with storyteller Kathy Shimpock. Here we'll meet the crone and uncover her wisdom as found in fairy tales, folk tales, and myths. For it is true that stories, as it is with many people, become better as they grow older. Know that no matter how difficult your journey has been through the magical forest, the wise crone always opens her door to you. In this episode, I'll be sharing a familiar story in what is probably a surprising way. The story is The Three Bears. The surprise? In this version, Goldilocks is replaced by an old woman. But is she the crone? Wait and see. A great while ago, when the world was full of wonders... The story of the three bears is one of the most popular folk tales in the English language. The version most of us know has Goldilocks misbehaving and causing havoc in the bear's cozy cottage. However, it's not the only version. In one, a curious fox enters the bear's castle. In another version, the character of Goldilocks is traded for that of an old woman. This 1837 variant is a literary tale based on the oral tradition. It was popularized by Robert Southey in his book called The Doctor. While the derivation is not completely unknown, Southey's literary creation appears to be based on multiple folktales, perhaps the Grimm Brothers' version of Snow White or a Norwegian folktale in which a princess made her way into a bear's cave. For a while, scholars believe the character of the old woman preceded that of the young girl. Now it is uncertain which version came first. Evidence exists that perhaps both stories were told long before they were immortalized in writing. Southey described his old woman in this way. A little old woman, a vagrant, an impudent bad old woman, and as a naughty old woman who says bad or wicked words. He writes that she has an ugly, dirty head and could not have been a good, honest old woman. Southey is clearly using folktale motifs in his work by either recording, creating, or borrowing from other versions of the Three Bears. Some scholars believe he mistranslated the word fox or vixen with the word for a crafty old woman. His story, however, does not follow any of the traditional old woman motifs. As of yet, I'm unable to find any other tale type or motif that fits his version of this character. Schamberger and Lachman observe that there are little old women in many fairy tales— They are generally witches or good demons of the forest, knowing about herbs and charms. There is, in fact, a Russian fairy tale in which an old woman who lived in the woods saved her children by outwitting a wild bear. Yet none of the old women in these folk tales behave so shockingly as Southey's little old woman. All this got me to wonder about Southey. Does he just have it out for little old women, or is he reflecting Victorian stereotypes? 
But now, a story. Not in my time, not in your time, but in the wise crone's time. The Story of the Three Bears by Robert Southey Once upon a time there were three bears who lived together in a house of their own in a wood. One of them was a little small wee bear, and one was a middle-sized bear, and the other was a great huge bear. They had each a pot for their porridge, a little pot for the little small wee bear, and a middle-sized pot for the middle bear, and a great pot for the great huge bear. And they had each a chair to sit in, a little chair for the little small wee bear, and a middle-sized chair for the middle bear, and a great chair for the great huge bear. And they had each a bed to sleep in, a little bed for a little small wee bear, and a middle-sized bed for a middle bear, and a great bed for the great huge bear. One day, after they had made the porridge for their breakfast and poured it into their porridge pots, they walked out into the wood while the porridge was cooling, that they might not burn their mouths by beginning too soon to eat it. And while they were walking, a little old woman came to the house. She could not have been a good, honest old woman, for first she looked in the window, and then she peeped in the keyhole, and seeing nobody in the house, she lifted the latch. The door was not fastened, because the bears were good bears, who did nobody any harm, and never suspected that anyone would harm them. So the little old woman opened the door and went in, and well pleased she was when she saw the porridge on the table. If she had been a good little old woman, she would have waited till the bears came home, and then perhaps they would have asked her to breakfast, for they were good-hearted, a little rough or so, as the manner of bears is, but for all that very good-natured and hospitable. But she was an impudent, bad old woman, and set about helping herself. So first she tasted the porridge of the great huge bear, and that was too hot for her, and she said a bad word about that. And then she tasted the porridge of the middle bear, and that was too cold for her, and she said a bad word about that too. And then she went to the porridge of the little small wee bear and tasted that, and that was neither too hot nor too cold, but just right and she liked it so well that she ate it all up. But the naughty old woman said a bad word about the little porridge pot because it did not hold enough for her. Then the little old woman sat down in the chair of the great huge bear, and that was too hard for her. And she sat down in the chair of the middle bear, and that was too soft for her. And then she sat down in the chair of the little small wee bear, and that was neither too hard nor too soft, but just right. So she seated herself in it, and there she sat till the bottom of the chair came out, and down came she, plump upon the ground. And the naughty old woman said wicked words about that too. Then the little old woman went upstairs into the bedchamber in which the three bears slept. And first she lay down upon the bed of the great huge bear, but that 
was too high at the head for her. And next, she lay down upon the bed of the middle bear, and that was too high at the foot for her. And then she lay down upon the bed of the little small wee bear, and that was neither too high at the head nor at the foot, but just right. So she covered herself up comfortably and lay there till she fell asleep. By this time, the three bears thought their porridge would be cool enough, so they came home to breakfast. Now the little old woman had left the spoon of the great huge bear standing in his porridge. "'Somebody has been at my porridge,' said the great huge bear in his great gruff voice. And when the middle bear looked at his, he saw the spoon was standing in it too. They were wooden spoons. If they'd been silver ones, the naughty old woman would have put them in her pocket. "'Somebody has been in my porridge,' said the middle bear in his middle voice. Then the little small wee bear looked at his, and there was the spoon in the porridge pot, but the porridge was all gone. "'Somebody has been in my porridge and has eaten it all up,' said the little small wee bear in his little small wee voice. Upon this, the three bears, seeing that someone had entered their house and eaten up the little small wee bear's breakfast, began to look about them. Now the little old woman had not put the hard cushion straight when she rose from the chair of the great huge bear. "'Somebody has been sitting in my chair,' said the great huge bear in his great rough, gruff voice. And the little old woman had squatted down the soft cushion of the middle bear. "'Somebody has been sitting in my chair,' said the middle bear in his middle voice. And you know what the little old woman had done to the third chair. Somebody's been sitting in my chair and has set the bottom out of it, said the little small wee bear in his little small wee voice. Then the three bears thought it necessary that they should make further search. So they went upstairs into their bedchamber. Now the little old woman had pulled the pillow of the great huge bear out of its place. "'Somebody has been lying in my bed,' said the great huge bear in his great rough, gruff voice. And the little old woman had pulled the bolster of the middle bear out of its place. "'Somebody has been lying in my bed,' said the middle bear in his middle voice. And when the little small wee bear came to look at his bed, there was the bolster in its place, and upon the pillow was the little old woman's ugly, dirty head, which was not in its place, for she had no business there. "'Somebody's been lying in my bed, and here she is!' said the little small wee bear in his little small wee voice. The little old woman had heard in her sleep the great, rough, gruff voice of the great huge bear, but she was so fast asleep that it was no more to her than the moaning of the wind or the rumbling of thunder. And she had heard the middle voice of the middle bear, but it was only as if she had heard someone speaking in a dream. But when she heard the little small wee voice of the little small wee bear, it was so sharp and so shrill that it awakened her at once. Up she started, 
and when she saw the three bears on one side of the bed, she tumbled herself out at the other and ran to the window. Now the window was open. Because the bears, like good tidy bears as they were, always opened their bedchamber window when they got up in the morning. Out the little old woman jumped, and whether she broke her neck in the fall, or ran into the woods and was lost there, or found her way out of the wood and was taken up by the constable and sent to the house of correction for vagrant as she was, I cannot tell. But the three bears never saw anything more of her. The Victorian period's emphasis on industrialization led to a wide class disparity. Those who were unable to work were treated as an underclass. Living in poverty was a criminal offense. Remember debtors' prisons? For women, children, and the elderly, there were fewer options. They could subject themselves to the local workhouse or live on the streets. During the Victorian age, the upper class viewed those living in the abyss of the underworld as the criminal class. We can see this criminal class represented in Charles Dickens' novel, Oliver Twist. A famous photograph of this era, entitled The Woman on the Steps, was taken by John Thompson sometime after 1876 in a series called The Crawlers along with Adolphe Smith, who wrote a commentary, the two recorded the Victorian life of the poor. Smith writes, Huddled together on the workhouse steps in Short's gardens, those wrecks of humanity, the crawlers of St. Giles, may be seen both day and night, seeking mutual warmth and mutual consolidation in their extreme misery. As a rule, they are old women, reduced by vice and poverty to that degree of wretchedness which destroys even the energy to beg. Later he describes her existence in this way. They sit on the hard stone step of the workhouse, their heads reclining on the door, and here by old custom they are left undisturbed. When it rains, the door offers a little shelter if the wind is in a favorable direction. But as a rule, the women are soon drenched and consequently experience all the tortures of ague and rheumatism in addition to their other ailments. Under such circumstances, sound sleep is an unknown luxury, hence that drowsiness from which they never thought exempt. This peculiarity has earned them the nickname of dozes, derived from the verb to doze by which they are sometimes recognized. The crawlers may truly be described as a person who sleeps with one eye open. Those who seem in the sound of sleep will look up languidly on the approach of a stranger as if they were always anticipating interference of some sort. Robert Southey's story sets a strong moral tone throughout. He is not the neutral observer of the old woman's action, but identifies her from the beginning of the tale as a vagrant and a thief. Southey's mother was an aristocrat, and he was raised in that environment. Throughout his life, he was helped by those with power or money. Nonetheless, 
he had a desire for social justice and a more egalitarian way of life. In his poem, The Complaints of the Poor, he shares their plight with the rich man. Nonetheless, the story of the three bears appears to highlight the outrage of the upper class who saw vagrants as morally bereft robbers. The sleeping old woman could easily be seen in his day as either a crawler or dozes. Whether he was embracing the morals of his day or making a parody of them remains unknown. Either is possible based on what we know of Southey. Maria Warner also contends that Southey stressed the social message. She writes, Southey's nasty children's story punishes an old woman in the attempt to contain or at least discipline beggars and vagrants who had often been taken for witches. You may be wondering how I know these old stories, but that is a story for another day. The moral of the story is... With that said, I decided that I was called to set right Robert Southey's highly defamatory version of The Three Bears. If this was a true and accurate recording of an oral telling, I would be unable to do so. But because he so besmirched the reputation of this old woman, it behooves me to explain how she came to The Three Bears' house to begin with. This is my story of just who that old woman was. The old woman's name was Sarah Collins, and no beggar woman was she. Sure, she had come by hard times. Her husband was a ship captain who died at sea many a year ago. Left without a farthing or a child, she worked at the local pub where she eked out a living. Aye, poor but proud she was. Not long ago, they say, a strange man entered the pub. Tall and thin he was, with long hair and an even longer beard. His cloak was purple, but his vest an emerald green. Well, you'll never guess what happened next. That old man walked right up to Sarah and held out her husband's wedding ring. That ring should still be at the bottom of the sea. He said her husband freely gave him the ring, with the promise he would care for sweet Sarah. Well, naturally, she asked what that meant. The old man pointed to the woods. He said, look for a cottage with a red door. It would have the mark of the bear upon it. If she could find that cottage, all her troubles would be over, and she would live happily after that. What happens next you already know. And yes, she had the sailor's mouth about her, but that was just her disappointment for what she found in that house. You don't serve whiskey to sailors for forty years without picking up a colorful word or two. But she was no thief. Not our Sarah. And scared she was, I'm sure, to be awakened by some bears. What happened next is a mystery. Southey ne'er asked me nor any of the old wives who lived nearby if his story was true. Here is what I heard. Sarah ran through the woods until she found a tiny cottage with many children running and playing about. Strangely, the cottage had a red door with the mark of a bear. She knocked on the door and a young widow woman answered. Next thing you know, Sarah was living with the woman and acting as granny to those children. You can believe me when I say Sarah ne'er ended up in any jail, for she's living happily to this day. 
Next time, Southey should take the time to get his story straight before he hurts the reputation of a poor and defenseless old woman. Scholars studying the story of the three bears call this a cautionary tale, warning little girls not to wander in the woods where ferocious bears might dwell. Maria Tatar states that the tale can be viewed today as a discovery of what is just right, but for earlier generations, it was a tale about an intruder who could not control herself when encountering the possessions of others. Freudian psychoanalysts view the story as Goldilocks' struggle to move past Oedipal issues to control adolescent identity problems. Others write for pages about how the story depicts a young child's struggle to become potty-trained with a focus on Freud's anal stage. All of this rubbish is focused on Goldilocks and none on the story of the three bears and the old woman. To me, that story represents a time in history when the old and the poor were expendable. It was a time when these people were viewed as criminals, a justification for the abhorrent way they were treated in Victorian society. Today, as we face the COVID-19 pandemic, we hear politicians claim that grandparents would willingly give up their lives for a strong economy. What rubbish! The crone in this story gives us all a dire warning. Before you depict the old and the poor as expendable, take a look at their backstory. Life is precious. Wisdom comes with aging a quality in short supply today. No one is expendable, she says. We all have a vital part to play in the grand puzzle of life. The wise crone knows it's time for you to leave. Your journey home takes you back through the forest. It may at times be difficult, but no fear. Her final words to you are, Remember to stay on the path. Do not leave the path, no matter what you see or experience. And so it was, and so it is. Thank you for listening. We'll meet again the fourth Sunday of each month. This podcast has been sponsored by Heart Symbol Publishing, where you'll find a wide variety of guided imagery downloads to achieve your goals and enhance your life. This is the storyteller, Kathy Shimpak. This podcast is narrated by Linda Bennett. Music is The Snow Queen by Kevin McLeod at Incompetet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Stories by the Brother Grimm are in the public domain. Music